I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Welcome to yet another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. May the 4th be with you. Welcome to May. Hopefully things get better, but it's a six-man Dean Geronimo. And as always, from NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. You know, we're still keeping busy, still trying to hang in there with all that's going on in the world. We know that we're still in the middle of this health crisis that's hitting the world all over the place, but that doesn't mean that we're not still rocking and rolling, doing great things. Of course, the Haytown Center is uh, pretty much uh, not operating in terms of doing regular scheduling, but we're still going to have some things coming whenever this thing lifts, so we still have to be prepared and get ready for whatever may be coming up and hopefully the fall, late summer, or whenever we're able to actually start having fans come back to enjoy the great entertainment that happens there. But, you know, folks are still doing things online and still providing entertainment that way. I'm constantly getting notices about folks that are doing concerts online and just keeping things moving along. So definitely it's not stopping folks from uh, being engaged and involved. I have gotten out and about and noticed more people getting out and about. And some of them are following the rules. You know, they're wearing masks and trying to do the six-feet rule and all of that stuff. But I'm not going to lie and say that it's always the case because I even saw a couple of folks in the last week or two playing pickup basketball games. I'm sitting there going like, I don't know anybody who could play pickup basketball and stay within six feet of each other. So we know that they weren't exactly following the rules in terms of what folks are saying to do. But, hey, they were still trying to engage and get some exercise in and just trying to do what they could. And uh, I guess that basketball was what they were feeling that they needed to do. But, like I said, I don't see that they could have done it in that six-foot kind of separation that they are encouraging us to do. But uh, So that's going on around the world. But, you know, we're still engaged in a lot of things. I know that we had three special editions that uh, aired last week in addition to the shows that we picked up. I did another interview today with a photographer right. out of India, and I sent that to you. So hopefully that will be another special edition. And, of course, we're talking to other Wednesday. folks as well. Because Wednesday. So that will be aired on it Wednesday. That sounds Wednesday great. So 7 we'll o'clock. Yes. As we'll have the interview with Renita Roy Wednesday at uh, 7, and it was a very good interview. She was definitely sharing a lot of what's going on. And, yeah, folks even in India are being stubborn with the mask. She brought that up, and she's a great photographer, so we had a chance to talk oh. about her great photography and some of the things that she's involved in, everything from a project that involves sleep uh, paralysis, which she's a, a victim of, and everything to uh, being a very much of respectful and a very big fan of her grandmother to even having some LGBT kind of photographs that were going on in India. So, you know, she was covering a lot of things within her photographs, and we talked about a lot of that on that conversation. So I think folks are in for a definite treat when they listen to that on Wednesday, still trying to line up some other people. I was actually interviewed myself, well, actually twice. You know, I'm always talking about Shree, and Shree celebrated his 50th episode of the COVID calls, or 50 days, I should say, of those COVID wow. calls. I think he might be on 51 or 52, and it was actually maybe episode 52 or 53, but he brought on folks that had been fans of his, both the um, read-along, the New York Times read-along, as well as what he's been doing with those COVID calls. So 
I was the first one to come on and, you know, congratulated him for being involved and, you know, definitely let him know that I was a big fan of his and he appreciated uh, us uh, being fans of his because he knows that I've tagged you a couple of times. So you've watched a few episodes, probably not as many as I have, but you've watched a few, but he just appreciated us supporting right. um, him and he's continuing to support us. So, and, you know, we've actually got some great guests from him also. So definitely that uh, love fest between us was a wonderful thing and uh, did that. And then, you know, pod uh, radio or uh, podcasting is very much of a radio outlet as we're doing this thing today. But it's uh, putting things together that are more TV-like. So, you know, we've got Facebook Live, which I know your friend Ninth Wonder has been involved with. But there are also people that are creating a um, podcasting TV network, IBM TV, I think it's connected with the big blue IBM, and it's definitely a pod TV network. So I was on a uh, show that was supposed to be, I think, 30 or 40 minutes, got really engaged, wound up helping them with some of the interviews, and one of those comedians may be calling us later on that was on that show, but what was supposed to be a 30 or 40 minute uh, appearance by me wound up being close to three hours, and I think that was on either wow. Thursday or Friday, and, and they've also invited me to come back sometime, maybe even this week and join them because they have different things on their network i think one day it might be friday i don't remember whether it's friday or which of the day of the week is they have chess and, and a very good chess following then they have a woman out of south africa that has her own music show a music cafe alexandria's music cafe i think it's called then they have one for entrepreneurs so they're definitely doing a lot of things they're even similar to kind of our target market and everything and then thursdays is podcasters thursdays because they're recognizing that podcasting is becoming a very big thing within the country and around the world. So they were definitely engaged with that. And, of course, you know, like the rest of the country, I've been having Zoom meetings of different sorts galore. I know that every Monday I generally have a Zoom call that might morph into just a regular telephone conversation with the other radio station. I'm on the low-power radio station on Tuesdays. Uh, we had our first one this week, but it looks like that'll be weekly as well. We're having conversations around the Haytai Film Festival and the Black Filmmakers Collective. And then on Wednesday, uh, we have a uh, meeting that involves one of the other organizations that I'm involved with is trying to talk about Fayetteville Street, which is part of the Haytai. I mean, the Haytai District, Haytai District is on Fayetteville Street, but it even goes further down to parts of that street. It's a long street, but they're trying to figure out what they're going to do in development. They don't want to get left out as downtown continues to develop. And they don't want to be left out, you know, our African-American community and some of our other communities. So that's part of the conversations that we're having about how that can happen, that these folks don't get left out in that conversation. So doing that meeting, and, you know, just to break it up a little bit, I've been trying a little yoga, a little dancing. But I think I told you before, I was going to these dance parties that are online. And I think I've done last week might have been my third or my fourth one. Tried to, you know, shake my feet a little bit, tried to do a little of that yoga stretching I am not that limber as I should be, so I'm not going to lie and tell you that I don't take some pauses and some breaks. The woman be keeping her thing going, and I'm sitting there going, like, i got to have a sit-down, even on the dance moves. So a couple times I might have to take a sit-down and watch the people dancing before I get up and try another move. You know, If I keep doing it, I might get some practice and be able to go to a whole 30-45 minute session or a whole hour dance-a-thon. Because these people are dancing from all over the world. I mean, I've seen gentlemen dancing from Costa Rica, the United States, to all over the United States. Everything from California to Dallas, Texas, to New York, of course, to Miami. And the DJs are coming wow. from all over, too. So, like I said, you just you, when, if you sign up and you go to the Daybreakers, you just see folks dancing from all over the world. And it actually gives you a lot of joy in this time that we're in. Anytime you get these positive messages, 
in this kind of hard time that we're in, it just makes it a lot easier to get through the day on a day-to-day basis when you see some folks just jamming and, you know, you, you think you were back at a, one of them clubs that you used to attend when you were in college, uh, Dean, or you might think that you were back in some of the places <laughs> and when you pop your head over there in New York City. Cause, I mean, I've seen some popping and locking and all kinds of dance moves, seen some rock moves, some hip-hop moves, uh, R&B moves. I've seen all kinds of moves. Some folks that are like me might not have the best rhythm or the best dance moves, and some folks that uh, probably could get on um, one of those dance shows and walk away with a victory. Okay. Like I said, it's, it's the spectrum that's covered. Everybody from the rookies to the pros. <laughs> I hear that, man. I, I don't know if I could do that for two minutes. You talk about hours. So that that'll be <laughs> that'll be interesting, you know what I mean? Wanted to um actually give a couple of shout outs and then I know we have uh guests standing by so we, we'll get them in in the show shortly. But what I wanted to let you know is the Be Rich podcast with Nicole Green and Rachel Garriere premieres on May fifteenth and it'll be on Spreaker. They'll be empowering men and women in wealth, health, and well-being. So that's May 15th on Spreaker. Y'all be on the lookout for that. Um, on Saturday, this Saturday, May 9th at 3 p.m., my friend Shereen Hodge will be interviewed on Matriarch Moments discussing survival after divorce. It'll be live on Zoom, and the flyer will be posted on our Straight Talk page. So, you know, May 9th, 3 p.m. at Zoom, the flyer actually has the account number, which you need to do to log in. But come and support her. She has an interesting story um, about how she got to and through that thing they call divorce. And then lastly, salute to my man, Ninth Wonder and Jamla Records. They're going to be featured in the uh, spring-summer issue of Business Mogul Magazine. The entire squad is going to be featured. So that's Rhapsody, Heather Victoria, Ruben Vincent, TP, GQ, Sundown and Enigma from Act Proof, Ian Kelly, and Swank and King Draft, right? But you can't forget the Soul Council, Crisis, Amp, Cash, E. Jones, and Eric G., and also the dynamic Tia Watlington. Collectively, they are Jamla Records. I'm proud to be a part of that family, and I look forward to reading that issue because I already put it on reserve. So, you know, some things, are, uh, a lot of things are happening and taking place. And um, Yeah, a lot of things are taking place, and that's you know, a good thing. I definitely have got that. We got. I heard the doorbell, so I want to um, do need to let out folks know about some sad news. It was the end of the world as well. And of course, there's sad news all over the place. But I just recently learned that uh, one of our major people in the black press here in the Durham area, that being Kenneth Edmonds, he passed away. I'm not sure whether it was COVID-related or whatever, but he was relatively young. I'm thinking he was probably somewhere around his 50s or 60s or something like that, but he was the publisher of the Carolina Times and just recently passed away. So our condolences go out to his family. We do hope that this institution of the Durham area, um, the Carolinian, uh, I mean, not the Carolinian, the Carolina Times, does keep rolling. It's the one in the Durham area. The Carolina Times is here in Durham. The Carolinian is in Raleigh. And Kenneth Edmund is definitely with the um, Carolina Times. I want to make sure I get the right ones together. Like I said, Kenneth Edmund was there publishing the Carolina Times 
for a number of years after his uh, folks had passed away and everything. And we do hope that his folks will maintain that um, history because, you know, the black press is very much a part of that great history in terms of keeping us informed. So our, uh, like I said, our thoughts and prayers do go out to the Edmonds family as they have lost definitely an icon here in the Durham community. Like I said, Kenneth Edmonds had been with the Carolina Times, I want to say for a number of years, probably since he was a child and everything. So we will definitely uh, know that he will be missed, but his legacy is still there because it was a great historical paper and things of that nature. So definitely we, our thoughts go out to the Edmonds family over there at the Carolina Times. So that was a uh, sad news to hear that, that he had um, passed away recently and everything. But on a more upbeat note, you know, we've had Charles Fanuff on the show. He was the uh, head of the Raleigh Little Theater. He went on to get a better job there in the state, but still in the arts. And so they needed a new uh, executive director. So even in the middle of all of this, folks are still being hired for jobs. I know that the one of the places that I work at, the um, Carolina Theater, we're in the middle of being on search for an executive director as well as somebody to run that theater. Our current person is still in office and will be in office till the new person is found. But Charles had stepped down, had gone elsewhere, and they were looking for a new director. And it just looks like they announced today that Heather J. Strickland will be the Raleigh Little Theater's next executive director. She comes from the North Carolina Partnership from Children, where she had been communications and development director since 2013. And she brings an extensive experience and success in developing organizational strategy building awareness and cultivating engagement for nonprofit organizations. And she also brings a passion for theater, dedication to our community, and a vision for the theater that makes uh, that particular organization excited about their future as they see which way she wants to go. So, you know, a lot of folks are seeing what things are going on and they're wondering about the future, even of some of our artistic organizations, whether that's theaters, whether that's um, record labels, whether that's whatever, but whether it's what you're talking about with uh, Nice Wonder and that great crew that he's got, or whether it's this theater in Raleigh, we are seeing that folks are still finding ways to stay engaged. And, you know, even in hard times, you still got to keep the lights on. You still got to keep things running. So if there becomes a gap in leadership, you still have to find somebody to fill that gap. Yes, you do. And so we're going to jump into this quick PSA, and we'll have Mike Lee on the line when we come back. It's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, y'all. Knowing your breath can save your life. Go to knowyourgirl.org for the facts you need on breast <coughs> Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. All right, Mr. Lee, Mr. Michael, to Straight Talk with <laughs> Dean and Mark, you are now on the line. I appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate Mike, it, guys. I appreciate, appreciate you having us. Appreciate you being on, Mike. Mike, and we have no uh, family relationship that we're aware of, maybe some distant cousin <laughs> or something down the line or whatever. I'm not even sure which part of the world Mike is originally from. He can tell us a little bit about that. But, Mike, I've got to ask you this, and then we'll get into some discussions about some of the issues that are impacting us, both because of what's going on with COVID-19, but just in general. Because I know mm-hmm. when you first came on, the school board, there was issues that you were concerned about, and this was way before COVID, like trying to make sure that um, our uh, youth, and particularly our uh, black male youth, were seeing people that look like them in the classroom, of course, right. dealing with things like the gangs and things of that that were on there. 
that we we face in the school system, whether it's here, whether it's in New Jersey, whether it's wherever, and Dean's actually in the New Jersey area and everything. But the question I've got to ask you is if somebody had told you when you first got involved in education, and tell folks a little bit about what brought you into education, but if somebody had told you when you first got into education, say some 10 or 15 years ago, that you would be living in a time of COVID where you're trying to figure out what to do with education. I mean, I had the pleasure and we had her on last week, I believe it was last Friday, of having an educator from London. And, you know, they went to doing just like we're doing. They didn't have their standardized testing and they didn't, and a lot of their teachers were having to do Zoom classes and online classes. And I know that that's what we've been doing as well as having drop off spots for our kids that are wanting to get that um, balanced meal. And we know that the schools sometimes provide a place for those balanced meals. But this is a new era. It's a new day that we're in. And if somebody had told you, you know, 15 years ago, hey, Mike, you're going to become the head of the school board, and during the time of your tenure, you will be facing a <laughs> pandemic, what would your reaction have been? I would not believe them for one second that we'd be in a situation that we are in today. Um, so first, let me give you a little background. I am not an educator. I'm actually in technology. Uh, my real, my full job, full time job is in technology. Um, uh, but I've been on the school board for about six uh, six years now. Uh, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. Every four years, we moved to different places. But my lineage, my parent, my parents, my grandparents, my uncles, aunts, and everyone is from Alabama. So um, if you have any relatives, <laughs> Mark in uh, Alabama, Birmingham specifically, uh, we may have some relations down the line somewhere. I don't know. Um, but about six years ago, a little over six years ago, when I joined the school board, my oldest son had just started school. Well, he was in kindergarten at that time. When I decided to run, it was 2014, and um, um, I started noticing there was a deficit of uh, of business finance, contractual understanding, things like that on the board. I think it was a, it was a little bit of a deficit. And I felt that I could come onto the board and help you know, help the board and the district understand a little bit more about finances, the budgeting, you know, make sure we're asking the right questions. We had just come off of a year where um, the chief financial officer and, you know, and, and the district had lost, nine, I think it was like $19 million or something for a little bit, and they found it at the end of the year. And there was just some questions that needed to be asked, some experience that needed to be done. And so uh, I joined and you know, my background, I've been coaching for about nine years, you know, I've been mentoring, I've I've done a lot of different things. And, yeah, one of the things I really was interested in is trying to get more uh, African-American teachers in the district because we all know that uh, when, a, when a black student sees a teacher that looks like them or a Latino students see the teacher that looks like them, their chances of graduating and finishing school skyrocket, you know, jumps up to 90%, 95%. I can't remember the actual statistics, but it's an extremely high jump to when, uh, where instead of where students don't see a teacher of color. So uh, when I was growing up, like I said, I was in, my dad was in the military. I didn't have a black teacher all the way through. I don't remember having one black teacher until I got to college, I went to Alabama A&M, and it was obviously a culture shock because I'd never, never seen that. I'd never seen black educators. My mom 
was a substitute teacher. Um, and uh, my dad, after after he retired from the military, uh, he became a school counselor, a guidance counselor, but I never had a, an actual uh, teacher who looked like me. And I know the importance of that, and I wanted that for my children as well. I have three children in the school system. So that was one of the things. Also, technology was one of the things. When I came into school, uh, coming into the school board, we were about a six-to-one district. That means there, for every six students, there's one computer. Now we're at about a, uh, a three-to-one. And hopefully, the way it's looking now with all of this going on, we're looking at being a one-to-one, meaning that every student in Durham Public Schools should have a computer that you could, if needed, take home, including, you know, hotspots, you know, to connect to the Internet and so forth. That's what we're looking to do at the beginning of this next year. So now we're in this position. Now we're in this position where everybody's at home. Who would have thought that schools across the nation would be canceled? I'm just sitting think about that for a minute. Schools are canceled for the rest of the year, and we don't even know if we're going back on time in the fall because of this. So the world has completely changed. Everything that we're doing is completely different. Yeah, and you actually raised an interesting question. That was actually one of the things that the lady from London talked about was the fact of can they have some poor areas as well and some different ethnicities and things Mm -hmm. of that, but trying to make sure that all of our kids are able to get a computer and things along that line. And I do know that we have even here in Durham some poor areas. So um, Mm -hmm. has the corporate America stepped up in the sense of being able to help these folks get computers or are people getting donations? Are y'all still short on computers, or are we at the point right now where a lot of people are doing homeschooling and we know that that's what's going on right now, that they are actually able to get the access? Because we know that the libraries right now, at least in the phase we're in now, are still shut down. I mean, if we go to phase one mm-hmm. or phase two, then the libraries may be open and then they can have access there. But right now they have to do it from home because they can't even do it in the restaurants because the restaurants are pretty much, you know, either takeout and or um, – like you can go pick it up or take out or pick up. So there's no sitting down with even those that have Wi-Fi. So the question is, how are we doing in right here in the triangle area? And then the other thing I was just wondering about, you said that you're not sure when we're going to open, but I think I'd read somewhere that they're speculating that we might be ready to go. At least they want the state to go in August. So I'm guessing that's the fall semester, which it sounds like you're not 100% sure that that's going to happen. A lot still has to depend on, the testing, and when I say testing, I'm talking about the medical testing and what happens in that realm. So I just want to know what some of your thoughts are in terms of Mm -hmm. whether we will actually be up and running by the fall and also if we are doing a good enough job with having the kids have access to the uh, technology that they need in this day and age. Right. Well, uh, uh, corporate America has stepped up quite a bit. I I joined a call. I'm on one call or another about seven times in a week. Not on the weekends, but just but it's dealing with what we're going through right now with the COVID nineteen and the effects that it's caused. You know the domino effect. But corporate America has really stepped up, and we're at a place right now to where there's a we're making a plan. We're we're developing a plan on what every child having a computer and during public schools looks like. And what does that look like for the future? So we're looking at a five-year plan, where you know where you know you have to you're going to have to get more computers than you do than you have students because there's going to be breakage, there's going to be you know loss, you know uh, maintenance kind of issues. 
So you're going to want to, you're going to have to have, you know, a plan for that. There's going to be carts involved, you know, in the schools you want to have carts. There's going to be a lot of different things that, that are going to have to be taken into account before, uh, if we're going to maintain it, if, we, if it's going to be sustainable over the next five years. And we're developing a plan right now. And the, the corporate America here in the triangle, they stepped up and they said, look, tell us what the cost is. Tell us what it is per year. The county commissioners have been extremely gracious in funding our projects, funding things that we need, and they've 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 said that they are willing to step in and help with that. So we've had a lot of we've had a lot of positive momentum going into technology, you know, uh, to the technology needs of our students. Even Verizon and a couple other companies are saying, "Hey, tell us how many." of your students need, you know, hotspots to connect while they're at home. Let's see how we can get those provided. And now we're estimating about 30, 35% of our students don't have access to a computer or internet or high-speed internet at home. The majority of our students, the high majority, have some sort of smartphone at home. And although you can connect to, diff to get different schoolwork or watch different videos, a smartphone isn't necessarily the best idea to have a student trying to do their schoolwork on it. Uh, although some do. My son is one who we have computers here. We have high-speed Internet, but he loves to sit on his phone and do, do type his papers and do everything like that in, for the seventh grade. But that's just not optimal. So what we want to do is we want to make sure everyone who needs a computer can have a computer along with high-speed Internet access. And how do we manage that? Now, okay. as it relates to going – no, go ahead. No, so go ahead. Continue. Yeah, I was going to say as it relates to actually going back to school in the fall, um, I don't think anybody really knows right now. And – um, I tend to stay, as far as, you know, making these kind of choices, I kind of stay on more of the conservative side where you're saying, look, are we going to have enough testing? Are we going to have something to to address if someone's already ill, you know, like is there a vaccine or is there some kind of treatment or that sort of thing? Now, we do we do know that although there are, you know, the younger children who who have covid 19 is just not a, it generally presents itself as a as mild but still taking it back home is where there's a problem. And so having children in school where there's nothing as a barrier to protect against that, that's going to be a challenge. And so, you know, there there are speculations, you know, we would start on time because we generally start at the end of August. But you have to understand we have year-round schools as well. They start in July. So if if school can't open up in July, what does that mean for the year-round schedule? Do that, does that mean that they have to start school in an online capacity and then go in once school is open? How does that work as far as you know? You know how does that work as far as the school year and things like that? So there right now, there's really no one that really knows for sure what it would be, what the uh, what the opening will be. I'm hoping it's August because I would love to start the school year out and uh, as normal as we can for our students. But I, I think it's going to be even further delayed. 
Yeah, I would not be surprised at a further delay either. I do want you to stay on the phone call and everything, and got to see when I'm looking at the studio as well, and I see we've got a couple of folks in, and I want to bring a couple of them into the conversation, so I don't want you to get off. But before even bringing in Shalei uh, Comerford, who's a dancer, and I want to hear her from her, and then I want to hear from Marco Greenberg, who's a national person and everything, and then Hosan, who's a uh, poet. But before bringing in uh, Shalei and her dance group and finding out what they're doing, the one thing that had really surprised me with this is um, two things. One, you just mentioned it with your, uh, I think it was your son, but you were talking about how they are doing their homework. And I've heard this even from college kids on their phone. I mean, they're literally doing their papers on their phone and all of that. That actually just shocks me. Like I said, I know just growing up, I was good with my electric typewriter and my manual typewriter. And then I moved on <laughs> to laptops. And But I'm hearing of kids that are actually doing their papers on a phone, and that just amazes me because I'm sitting there going like, because I think I've talked to a friend of mine who's got um, a teenage uh, daughter who's I think she's either a junior or a senior, but she was talking about he was talking about the fact that she's literally writing her papers on her phone, and I'm sitting there going like, my phone is kind of small, so I don't know how you manage to write a whole paper on a phone, but apparently that's the norm. And the other thing that I was just curious about your thoughts on. Um, before I bring in a chalet and everything, was I'm hearing some people speculating that they're thinking, you know, the, they talk about the new normal, that this is leading to the new normal. And part of the new normal that I'm hearing theorized is that the school print, meaning the footprint of the school, might be smaller, meaning that we might go to these kind of like days where the kids are, say, coming to school on Monday and Wednesday and the other kids are coming Tuesday and Thursday as a way to have some distance and some separation, and also maybe half the classes are online and half the classes are at the uh, campus itself. Is that something that you're hearing in your conversations? Because, like I said, this is just stuff that I'm reading or hearing people talk about, and sometimes it's in bigger environments like New York and L.A. and Miami. But I was just wondering, is that something that's being conversated about even with us, methods to maintain the kind of things that the CDC and some of these health experts want with maintain social distancing even after we quote unquote flatten the curve. Absolutely. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing all kinds of things, all kinds of ideas like that. But we have to understand that we have to we're gonna moving forward we're gonna have to be flexible enough to allow people to make decisions as best for their families. So if that means, hey, my child just can't come to school I I don't want my child coming to school so I'm gonna do all my stuff online. Well DPS during public schools is going to have to you know, figure out a way to offer school, offer things online as well. Um, and uh, also, yeah, smaller classes. You know, maybe the first half of the day there's a certain set of kids, second half of the day is another set of kids. But I've heard a lot of different things, but all options are on the table right now, especially if we can't get the testing and the vaccines and things like that as we expect. Yep, definitely. Well, definitely stay on the line if you would. And then, uh, Dean, uh, you'll see Chalet at the bottom. So if you bring Chalet in, I want to talk to her a little bit about what's going on in the dance world. And then I want to bring in Marco after that. And then I'll uh, bring in Hassan. Who knows? Somebody else may call in. But if you can uh, bring Chalet in, that would be great. Hello, Chalet. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing? You just heard Mike Lee, our uh, person with the school board, talking to us and everything, uh, head of the school board here in Durham. You've had to face some different things as well because, like I said, you've got your dance company. Um, and, by the way, I did not know about, because I was doing some research, your um, mixed heritage because, like I said, I knew that there was different heritage, but I see that you've got part of your heritage being the uh, European-American, but apparently there are some Native American roots, and I have some of that as well that I was not 
as aware of. So as I was reading about some of your history, I was like, wow, she's got some Native American roots in addition to some of her other roots. But I was just wondering, I know yeah. that right before everything started, you were talking, you did a couple of performances at the Fruit, and you still managed, managed to do those, I think maybe with either a small audience or a limited audience. And then, of course, you've done stuff online. So how are you coping as a dancer with what's going on, and how are you planning your next step and everything as we're moving forward in this new era, this new age that we're in? Because, like I said, you've always done innovative dancing no matter what's going on, but now it sounds like you're having to add some innovation to your dancing because of what's going on in the world. We really are. We're trying to think really fast, um, especially because the dancers in the company don't really have, like, financial securities for situations like this. Unfortunately, with the way that the arts are, especially in the, the dance field and in, um, in Durham, it's just a different kind of ecosystem. So one of the ways that we jumped into it immediately was um, – <laughs> I'm not really great at technology, but I'm learning as quickly as I can. We had to figure out how to live stream our performance. Um, we brought in a couple of people to, to help us with that, and then we figured that we would start trying to live stream some classes as a fundraiser for our dancers. So the classes are free, um, but then we wanted it to be both a service for the community to feel that sense of connection and to have something that they could do um, physically, uh, but for those that were able, it's kind of like a pay what you can if you can kind of situation. Um, and so the dancers have um, been working hard with that. We've been offering seven classes a week. Um, that was one of our first strategies. Uh, the other thing that we're planning is a virtual premiere of the performance um, that we were supposed to premiere at the Durham Fruit in March. And the, that show opened the weekend that the social distancing orders came out. So we were dealing with dwindling audience numbers, um, people feeling concerned about coming to the show, people asking for refunds. Um, and it was a real fast, unusual situation um, because our annual premiere is usually our big show that helps fundraise for our following year's season. Um, so it was, it was a big hit, um, like for the company financially, but the upside of it was it was absolutely an incredible experience to figure out how suddenly through live streaming we were able to reach people outside of Durham. Um, for example, my brother in Utah got to see the show. Um, so we're going to give that another go and um, kind of do a YouTube watch party um, that will happen on Friday, May 15th at 8 p.m. And we're getting all the artists together for an artist talk back that will happen on Zoom afterwards so that we still have another chance to kind of, you know, share this show. Um, it's so unusual when you're self-producing your work. You usually spend a year developing it. Um, you spend a week loading into the theater um, using a wonderful and um, multi-dimensional venue like The Fruit. Of course, we've got to build the light plot, and we're designing the set and building the stage. And <laughs> so it was, it, was a, it was a painful, sad experience to be losing our audience um, that has sold out since 2017. Um, but we, we pulled it off and we made sure we got really good video uh, so that it would still have a future and still be able to be watched by our audiences. Um, so, so yeah, our Shaga classes are online now um, and the virtual premiere to help the in-between, which is the piece that we developed since January of 2019, still has 
um, an audience, and that's why we do what we do is for people. So we're really trying to innovate ways to stay connected with our audience and ways to stay connected with our community, um, and hopefully we'll continue working with ideas. Um, there's actually been a lot of great support from um, the you know local arts organizations coming together with a real focus on understanding that both individual artists as well as artist organizations are in great need right now. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a great need, like you said, both for the individual artists as well as the arts organizations. I want to bring Marco into the conversation shortly as well, but just really quickly, and this goes for both, and I also want to hear a little bit more of your background for those that are listening that don't know it, but um, Chalet that is, but for both Mike and you, could you tell us a little bit about, because I know sometimes people are wondering about online bandwidth. I have was actually just talking to a friend of mine that does a show um, that he travels around, and he's thinking about doing it online and then his big concern is not having enough bandwidth and i imagine that you might have to have a tremendous amount of bandwidth to do these things but then like i mentioned before y'all joined the call i was actually on one of those online dance parties trying to shake my uh tail feather a little bit <laughs> and uh do a little yoga practice and everything and it seems like in some cases with zoom and everything else that's out there that you might not need as much bandwidth as some people fear in order to get these dance performances on. So, Mike, you've got a technological background. You had to deal with it as a customer, Chalet. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are. Has, has it become easier to get things online with just basic laptops, or do you need all kinds of fancy bandwidth and things in order to pull these things off? Well, um, the term bandwidth can be used in a bunch of different ways, but uh, any Anyone who has access to, you know, high-speed Internet, you know, that high-speed Internet is defined as anything other than dial-up. You guys remember, and I may be, you know, showing my age here, but, you know, you used to have to dial into a modem and you hear these squiggly sounds and you connect, and then it was like 56K, and it was like, it, it, back then it was fast to us because we didn't know any better. But with the advent of, you know, Internet through cable, you know, through satellite, you know, you have your Google Fiber and everything like that. That bandwidth has been made to come to individual houses or apartments or whatever that might be, and that is more than enough to stream video. You know, um, now computers have gotten a lot better. You know, you have you can actually do, you know, streaming, and you have that bandwidth on your on your cell phones now. Uh, you you know your mobile phones. So that bandwidth has. Uh, is not the, the, the availability of bandwidth is not as big of a problem as it used to be even five years ago. But with, um, with the advent of these high-speed technologies, you know, having that, being able to stream that video, those videos, you know, that's how, how YouTube became so popular because you could stream videos. You now have the ability to quickly access that information, and that's what the bandwidth is. So I don't think it's a problem nowadays uh, with, you know, cities, you know, maybe in the rural areas where, you know, these technologies may not be as as, um, as, as available, but in, you know, cities, urban areas, you're going to you're gonna find the amount of bandwidth that you need to be able to stream this information. No, that's great that you can actually do that. Now, one of the other things I'm just curious to hear, uh, particularly to you, Mike, and then, like I said, I want to bring in Marco and everything into the conversation, but one of the things I'm hearing from some of my friends that are teachers and I may, Shaolin may even have the same kind of thought, is that, of course, now we're all, whether it's corporate America, whether it's um, the, teach, the school kids doing their homework, whether it's even organizations doing their work, 
everybody seems to be having a Zoom meeting or a StreamYard or the different other platforms. So I'm wondering, even as an, somebody in the education field being in the school board, are you hearing some of the students complaining about what, for lack of a better term, can be called Zoom burnout? Because it seems like everybody's doing Zoom conferences at least three or four times a day, which is a wonderful thing to have that access. But I guess what I'm concerned about is, is there going to be too much burnout with everybody using it on a regular basis? And are, even among your own uh, children, Mike, are you are they still comfortable with that, or are they missing their connection with their peers? Because, I mean, that's definitely something that kids like, and I know, of course, they have to follow the social distancing. But I'm just wondering, are they, are they already starting to gripe to you that they're missing that connection with their peers? Um, so I'm really glad you asked that question because it's extremely important that we understand the challenges that our students and our, our kids are going through. Uh, I work from home. And um, I'm on Zoom meetings probably five or six hours a day. That's just the way that I work. I work with customers and so forth. And that's just fine for me. But this is a completely new era. And, you know, for the most part, I haven't heard any complaints about Zoom burnout. And, and when my kids are on with their teachers and their classes, everyone seems to be having a good time. But kids display this, their – the they don't quite know how to communicate how that they're missing their peers like we would, you know, and that can come when I just don't feel like talking anymore or uh, I'm so bored and this and that. What they're really saying is, yes, I am missing my, my peers. And my kids, they do, they miss actually being able to hug their teachers, you know, because they love their teachers. Uh, not my, my seventh grader. He's too cool to do that, but, you know, you know what I mean? He he still misses his teachers. He misses the connections in the cafeterias, you know, running around on the playground with their different friends and things like that. And so I do feel if this continues much further without some sort of a break, it's gonna we are gonna run into the point to where kids are just gonna say, No, I'm just I'm just over this. I'm done with this. But, you know, kids are kids are very resilient and they um they watch a lot of YouTube. They, they're on computers all the time. They're watching YouTube. They're watching video games. They're doing video games, all that sort of thing. So this isn't that far out of their norm. They don't really have a norm outside of computers like we do. So I don't see it really becoming a, a super burnout sort of thing, but I do see them the, the feelings that they're having as far as missing their peers and their, their teachers, the physical contact, you know, being away from home for a little bit and then coming back home. That sort of thing, I see that on the rise. Oh, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, Shalay, and then, uh, um, Dean, if you could, while I'm asking this question, to Shalay, bring Marco into the conversation and everything. But, uh, Shalay, are, are you seeing that with your uh, dancers also? Because uh, definitely I know dancing is very much of a social medium, whether you're doing uh, ballroom dancing, whether you're doing modern dancing, which is what I consider more of what you do, or whether you're just doing dancing with, you know, at the nightclub with your friend or significant other or whatever. But it's such a social endeavor. Like I said, I definitely have been attending those daybreaker parties, which is folks dancing on Zoom, and maybe there's three or four people in each house, but it's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people having this massive Zoom party that's going on. But it's not the same as being in the nightclub with the dancers or in a, or in a uh, dance hall or even at a concert with the dancers. So how are your dancers coping with this, and how are you actually working with your dancers? I mean, are y'all practicing through Zoom, or are you meeting at one location? Because, I mean, your dance troupe is actually a pretty decent-sized dance troupe. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that um, it's hitting the dancers maybe a little bit harder, especially when they're teaching classes because of just that longing, that missing of actual connection with the students. Uh, Zoom is such an interesting platform where, you know, everyone mutes themselves so that the teacher can teach the class. And so there, there's less questions, there's less interaction, there's less, um, you know, real, um, I don't know, energy that's, that's generated between people just coming into a room. Um, when we think about, like, the very beginning origins of dance all the way back into tribal dances, everything was in a circle. You would grieve together. You would dance together. You would pray for rain together. It's, it's something that's been the essence of dance for so long is, is people coming together. So it's definitely hitting my teachers. They do feel a little bit of burnout staring at the screen, um, we've kind of made it a fun part of class to kind of break our box. <laughs> and so to kind of play compositionally with the, the boxes that we are constantly staring into. Um, and we've seen a drop off in enrollment in our classes. Um, there are lots of people who are not interested in, in taking a Zoom dance class, but would love to come back to the studio. Um, and then there are those who really appreciate the fact that there's still the opportunity. But it's definitely much less than, than the enrollment that we were seeing uh, when we would actually come together in the studio. Um, and in terms of how I'm working with the dancers, um, we're kind of trying to get creative right now. I've kind of created a fun movement score for them to do at home in their own time. And basically, I spell out, spelled out the word quarantine, and I gave them the task for each letter, and they're going to each create a one-minute solo that we're going to start posting on Facebook um, so that they're generating material. Um, it's a little tricky right now because the next project that we were working on um, is actually a project that we're hoping, we'll see how things go, but we're hoping we'll premiere in uh, 2021. And it is a project um, working with um, individuals who are blind and visually impaired. So um, that project obviously was requiring us to be absolutely sharing space and working with movement mentor models and developing those, um, which was something that we were supposed to start straight after the March show. So that's kind of on hold, and um, we'll just have to be adaptable to what really our community needs right now and, and how we can continue to be a part of that. Wow. Uh, definitely sounds like some amazing things going on in there. Everything looks like Marco dropped off the call, so I have to email him and see if I can't get him back on. But it sounds like that's definitely what's going on. I do, um, if you could bring in Hassan as well. Hassan is a local poet, and like I said, hopefully uh, Marco will uh, call us back and everything. But if you can bring Hassan in. Hassan, you're hearing how people are doing it with um, what's going on in the dance world and definitely with the school world. Uh, you were actually um, are you still in college? I know that when I first met you, you were doing the stand-up thing outside of college. So are you still doing things in college, or are you outside of the area now? Nah, so can you hear me first? I can hear you. I bet. So um, I'm actually – I have three more projects before um, I'm done with this semester, but I'm still in my senior year um, as far as college – um, I was still so when the virus hit, it, it hit, it hit. So I'm a, I'm a poet, I'm an artist, I'm a writer in the community, out the community. I do a lot of things around North Carolina and Charlotte and Durham and Raleigh, but for the most part, I kind of operate in Greensboro because I go to North Carolina and State. So when the virus hit, it hit at a period where 
I was transitioning from because I was I was the uh, the president of my poetry club that I had started on campus. So I was transitioning from like we were doing practices every day, pretty much five days a week. Um, I was trying to establish different things as far as trying to make an after school program for us to work with at a high school across the town. I was just doing a whole bunch of things as far as um, paperwork, as far as legwork, as far as organization building, and as far as, like, editing, the editing process with poetry, the writing process with poetry. But we were shifting into um, just performances and shows. Like, I pretty much, like, I feel we, we, we were told to go home March 12th. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Bull City, uh, Bull City Poetry Slam would have been that next Saturday, and pretty much from that point on, I would have had a show, um, either by myself or with my poetry club, pretty much every weekend and every week till the end of April, pretty much. So when the virus hit, it wiped out everything that we were planning, everything that everybody else was planning. Like, I wasn't necessarily special because it was like when I started talking to other people outside my community, even people like Josephus, um, you feel me, everybody was reporting pretty much the same type of losses as far as the season that they were going into before all of this happened. So it, the, the virus hit um, the, whole, the whole artist community pretty, pretty, pretty hard, for real, for real. Yep. Definitely, and uh, I do see Marco has joined us back. Definitely stay on because I definitely want to continue this conversation, even learning how some of the things that you're yeah. doing. But I did want to bring Marco in as well. So, uh, Marco, I'm sorry that you dropped, but you're back and everything. You're hearing some of these amazing artists that are talking and Mike Lee with our Durham School Board, but you've actually wrote a book called Primitus, and you've actually talked about the success of entrepreneurs. And I'm imagining that some of those instincts that you feel that people have to have in order to be a success are some of the same instincts that you're seeing people launch into in this new era that we're in because they're having to use that primitive aspect of what you talk about because you're talking about what it takes to be a successful person just in general. That you, When you did your book, you learned that they, what made uh, entrepreneurs successful was that they had remarkable instincts and they trusted them and they had an uh, intuitive grasp of when to ignore convention. So definitely we know our artists definitely oftentimes ignore convention. So I think of uh, I think of artists and creatives as being total entrepreneurs on a regular basis, whether they consider themselves entrepreneurs or not. But tell us a little bit about the book, and also you've been listening for a while. I know you dropped for a second, but for the most part, you've heard quite a bit of what both Mike has talked about as well as some of uh, our two artists, Hassan and Shali. But just tell us a little bit about the book and also about what you're hearing and how that plays into the book. Absolutely. Well, it's great being on the show and an honor to listen to your very bright and interesting and vibrant guests. I mean, I, I guess I'll pick up on something that Mike said, which is his kids, maybe not the seventh grader because it ain't cool anymore, but the instinct to hug, the instinct to want that human contact. And, and I'm at a point right now where I'm kind of zoomed out, to be honest with you, and, I, and I'm craving that contact. I was on the phone with a client earlier today who happens to be a modern Orthodox rabbi in Queens. And he's literally lost multiple members of the synagogue to COVID-19. And he was just in a heartbroken way. He was lamenting the fact that we're living in a world right now that's unprecedented, that we can't hug one another. 
And I think in a way it relates to a book that I wrote that came out in the height of the COVID-19 epidemic on April 14th. By coincidence, it was my birthday. I work with a big publisher, Hachette. Um, The book is called, as you said, uh, Mark, it's called Primitive, and I'm, I'm reclaiming a loaded word, and I can talk more about that and why I did it. But again, Primitive, tapping the primal drive that powers the world's most successful people. Um, we conducted over 60 interviews. Um, I shared a lot of my work as someone that's worked in the marketing and PR world for most of my career. So um, working with Fortune 500 CEOs, working with founders of tech unicorns, working with crazy scientists and sometimes some crazy artists. And when I say crazy, I mean it in the good sense of the word. So for me, we all know those that are about process and those who cross their T's and dot their I's and are more conventional. But, but as you said, Mark, earlier, the people that are really breakout and make an impact and get written about in their obituaries are often those people who are free spirits and who march to their own drummer. And what my book is essentially about is little bit career, little bit business, little bit self-help with some memoirs sprinkled in, giving permission, permission for people to do their own thing, whether that's putting out a shingle and being an entrepreneur um, whether that's continuing their life as an artist and a creator, or whether that's someone in the in a corporation who wants to make what I call primitive moves. And I'll just finish by saying, welcome your comments on this. I, I kind of throw it back to what our ancient ancestors did tens of thousands of years ago and go roaming. And for me, roaming is an acronym, and it stands for being relentless. And it doesn't just mean working hard, because we all know people that work hard but go in circles and don't go anywhere. Um, o for me is oppositional, having the courage to say, I disagree, and hopefully do it in a way that doesn't get you fired. A is agnostic, and you know that means what we're hearing on this show, a lot of people that have renaissance souls that jump from field to field. I'll finish real quickly, and then I'll shut up on a PR guy, so sometimes I talk too much, so I, I beg your forgiveness. Uh, M is messianic, not just a passion, but our divine calling for what we do professionally. I, which is a little counterintuitive, is insecure. You know, a lot of people walk around with bravado and it's all good and it is what it is. But I found, I don't know about you guys, but I found a lot of super successful people aren't necessarily believers in that it's all good. Sometimes they're paranoid. Sometimes they question their own abilities and they weaponize those insecurities and only make them better. And the last two, N is for nuts. Um, I think you all can attest to the fact that sometimes being offbeat and eccentric and spontaneous and impulsive can create amazing, amazing things in life. And G is for gallant, giving back to the others. So that's my pitch. I'm, I'm a 56-year-old guy who became an author. It's never too late and it's never too, you're never too young. Definitely, and uh, Shale, you probably can relate to that, uh, not being quite at that age range, but definitely still having the dance thing, and I know some of your dancers are much younger than you and everything, but just along those lines, 
Um, when I think of dance and things being reclaimed, and I, of course, was friends with the late Baba Chuck Davis, it seems to me that that's, that community is one that, in my mind, has always reclaimed that kind of primitive aspect. And I was just wondering if that's your thoughts as well. Because when I think of dance, I think of a lot of the dances that you are familiar with, which is like the Irish dances and the Native American dances and even the African, African and African-American dance culture. So it just seems to me that that's definitely a culture that kind of reclaims the kind of thought that uh, Marco was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I also feel like it's constantly changing to kind of be a part of the the times, the the current times, but it's always going to have its roots where it was people coming together um, as a community. And one of the things that, you know, I feel Zoomed out as well. I have meetings on Zoom all the time now. It's It's a completely different mindset it kind of feels like it also changes your your mentality it changes some kind of i don't know brain chemistry to be staring at a computer rather than you know sharing space with people and there's so much in between people so much information that's shared um in a nonverbal way and that's part of dance's language you know so i think there's this push and pull of of trying to deal with how to stay relevant in a time where things become compressed into a screen um, but also how to allow an art form to still exist. Um, even though we're, we're streaming virtually the, the performance, um, just so we can still allow our audiences to see it, and, and hopefully it will allow us to broaden our audience. You know, the truth is the entire piece was made for a live audience, and there's an interaction that happens there. And it, it's, it's almost like being energetically fed, when you're in the presence of others. So there, that's kind of something that I think can, will never change about dance. Um, but dance has always found a way to continually revolutionize itself too um, through periods of time so that it's still about um, people, it's still about the moment, it's still about contemporary culture. Yeah, definitely. And I would argue the same thing, Hassan, about the spoken word community. Because like I said, I know that, you, like you mentioned, the Bull City Slam team, that's very much of a audience-based kind of thing. The audience is over there judging you poets in that kind of competitive poetry scene. So how have you adjusted to doing poetry without having that audience in the background? Because I know you're definitely, when I've seen you perform, you definitely play off the energy, being a younger poet, off the energy that you get from the audience. So, I mean, I know that some of the more seasoned veterans, they can either take the audience or leave the audience, but definitely I find that you young poets are even more engaged with the audiences because that's kind of the way that y'all were developing your art form. You kind of came into it in that way in my mind. So just was curious as to your own takes on how you're adjusting to performing in this new era and if you're even doing any performances. I don't know, are you doing any online performances or has your poetry group started doing anything virtually? So I would say that uh, this art form has been resilient and the culture has been resilient and very quick to adjust and so I, I was I was almost I was almost surprised, low key. And you're right, like especially the way I train the people that or the the way I, I, I train my peers, the way I mentor them and the way I've trained myself. You feel me? Like the audience like it's for them. It's not like your poem is it's for you, like you write it for you, but in that moment when you get on stage, you feel me, your job is to literally grab as many people as you can and we train the audience, you feel me, that we need feedback, that we need that interaction. So, you know, this is like a, this is an energy-based art. And so 
watching this entire uh, this entire shift has shown me that that's true, but also that energy can be given in different ways. So I was I was in uh, to to another point. Well, no, I'm gonna do it this way. So I was uh, in my one of my OGs. Uh, he he's th- he's throwing his show, The Heart Gallery. He's throwing it on at 6 p.m. on his live. That's he- heavy energy. It's university, I think, on Instagram. But every 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 Saturday at six, he's been doing it, and to watch how he interacts with the crowd, watch how he uh, still vibes with people like they're there, talking to the people in the live. You feel me? Even going so far as to say, you feel me? If you feel the if you feel the poem, throw some thunderbolts. If it warms your heart, throw some sunshine into the comment section, and really like keeping the tradition alive. That was that was like seeing life like small things like that. That really make that really show me that like uh, rapping poetry, art, spitting spoken word, like it's it's gonna happen any way, every way that it possibly can. So, to answer your other question, uh, we, me and the uh, me and my friends, me and my group, um, and most of us, most of my friends, like they're they, like we we've transitioned out of the group for the most part, like. It, it really runs itself. I had to give away or I had to sign over the presidency because I'm about to graduate. So it has a new president, it has a new vice president. They, they kind of their own group. So me and my friends, we started a, um, a, a online poetry slam. I think three, this would be, oh, it's probably a month now because we've done three. We took a week off. We're doing our last one tomorrow. So that that was pretty cool because of the fact that we were kind of known for bringing that slam poetry energy to Greensboro. Like nobody else really does that. So to have quality live performances on Instagram and to be a part of hosting that and to be a part of bringing it apart, that's cool. And then we did, we did, we've done shows. Like I think I've done one show with my poetry club, planning to do another one. But then I've also watched, and that's that's poetry, but like with music and rap, like they that it's always kind of been loose as far as how people can share it and how it comes about in groups even in the face to face thing like the the concept of a cipher is very 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 chaotic like somebody has to organize it somebody has to MC it somebody has to make sure these things go around but then once you start it once you spin the wheel you feel me? People just, they, they feel it. They get out. They want to share. They want to go. They want to do things. So it's just like if somebody starts something on Instagram, for the most part, people will jump off. So you have things happening like lives where people are uh, rotating through people just to see what their bars are. You've got people sharing their, 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 their verses and their music and pushing their content out because all we're doing is sitting in the house so people need something to listen to. And and just the, the, the like the like nothing nothing really nothing really took a hit. Nothing really slowed down. Like people were pretty much doing live shows like the very next week. And then it took uh you know, it took us like a couple weeks, maybe like one or two to really acclimate. But I'm watching the, the poetry community, especially in Greensboro, especially around me, really like take this one to the chest as far as, like, yeah, this is cool, this is tough, but at the same time, we're still going to push our content. We're still going to push our work. We're still going to find ways to congregate, especially because the Greensboro poetry community is, is, is distant, but it's very close-knit. Like, even when you don't like somebody, for the most part, you still nod or you give them space, but you don't disrespect. Like, people don't really have, like, 
friction. Like we're, we we kind of you know are, we're all in this together type of environment. Same with Durham. Same with Charlotte. So I'm seeing these communities really come together and grow stronger. Another thing that I'm seeing, especially now with this sort of transference to online, is a lot of mixing of poetry communities. Like even when we threw our slam, it was a couple people from Greensboro, but we had poets from Atlanta. We have poets from Florida. We have poets from Virginia. That in order, in a regular, in a regular setting, in order to, to to compete against them, in order to to share your work with them, you would have had to go on to Florida. Or they would have had to come to North Carolina. They like travel would have been necessary for a show like that to be produced because every show is unique. Every 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 slam is unique. Every gathering of poets is unique. But like when you get into sort of like the regional communities, you start to see that it's just like, you know, people have lives, people have homes, people have, like, gas is, gas is money, like, time is money. So it's just like you, you start to see the, the same kinds of things when you get into communities. You don't really see variation. Like, some people stay in the cut for a while, so they'll come to the capital, they'll pop out, it'll be a whole thing. Other people, they're pretty regular. They really try to do everything. It's a mix of everything in between it's just like especially because what we create around us is an echo chamber is a reflection of our personality it starts to get a little repetitive but when you talk about moving shows online you talk about really being able to have a different mix of artists like every online slam that we've thrown has been 100 percent one of the most entertaining things i've ever seen and i've been slamming for years but i get bored because I get bored from my own poetry, and I get bored from always hearing the same poems from the people around me and the, the, the process of developing that. So it's just like I really get to, to sit back and enjoy something, yeah, as a curator, but at the same time as a fan because it's fresh, because it's new, because I've never seen you before, because I've never heard your style before. We got three people, and they, 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 they spit on a whole different way. They have a whole, like, the way of manipulating the church into their poetry or have a whole way of manipulating their part of the South into the poetry or just their personality into the poetry. So that has also been unique as far as really, really expanding people's networks. So now it becomes a situation where when you, um, when they do open back up outside from, you have all these different connections, you have all these different places that you form bonds with out of nowhere pretty much like not nowhere but technically like like you you you're not any more familiar but you feel more familiar because we've you know held these events so i want to come to your city so i want to vibe with you so i want to get to know you and your community and see how we connect so i think it's also been building relationships like that i think that the the artist community is or at least as far as poetry and rap but i know as a whole you know like this is tough but it's definitely been a sort of i think a, a, a stubbornness like a refusal, like absolute refusal to let something like this kill the culture, to kill the vibe, kill the hustle, kill the, the bag, kill anything. Like everything possible that people can do, they are doing. Especially, yep, uh, you know, because of connection and technology. Like I went on Facebook and I saw a whole different, you feel me, side of it as far as poetry. Ed Mabry is doing lots of things. Desan is doing lots of things. You feel me? So it's like even the veterans, especially the veterans, you know, they, 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 they've led the way as far as being like, nah, this is this is nothing. You feel me? This is yep. temporary. Oh yes, yeah, all temporary and hopefully we'll get out of this faster versus uh later and everything. Actually just so you know, because 'cause I'm Mr. Networker. So uh Shali and Hassan and uh, 
Mike, I just came up with a brilliant idea. I think that after we get out of this whole thing and everything, we need to have um, Hassan do some poetry to Chalet's dance and her dance group, and we'll present it at uh, one of the Durham Public Schools. What do you think? I love, I it. love it. I love it. I will set it up, and it'll be a celebration. You could do it at one of our board meetings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like yeah, a great idea. Now, uh, Mike, just really quickly and everything, and I do want to hear one of Hassan giving to him of his, uh, give him a chance to let y'all hear some of his work. Unfortunately, you know, we're on the audio instead of the visual, so I can't do, give you that same kind of uh, um, highlight, Shalai, unfortunately, but I can't do that for Hassan. But, Mike, just really quickly before we get to some of that, and I also want to hear more from Marco about the whole concept of primitive and everything, but you, there was a lot of issues that you were dealing with. I touched on some of them before. Now, some of those issues are part of the crisis because you had to address the lunch program as it reflects to the crisis. But there was the whole thing about the retention and the graduation of our African-American male students, the retention of male teachers, gangs in the school, the whole prison to pipeline kind of situations that were very important to you before COVID-19 and coronavirus. How are you dealing with those issues now that we're in a new era? Because I imagine, I imagine the issues haven't stopped, like even the issues of what we're going to do with our Latin students, because we know we have a growing Latin population. Some of them might even be dreamers in our community. And those issues, and, and there's a, a decent-sized Asian population here, whether they're from India or whether they're from other Asian countries and everything. So some of those issues that are out there, the diverse population, and some of the other things that I touched on were issues that you were running on when you first came into the school board. So, like I said, the issues are still there, even though the bigger global issue is what's going on. So I was just wondering, are you still trying to deal with those issues? And if so, how are you dealing with the issues during this era that we're in? We deal with those issues every single day. That's why I'm on the board. That's why anyone who runs for the board gets on the board, because there's issues to deal with every day. It's not easy every day, and it's not, you know, you see us on the, on television, on the school board meetings, and that's like a dog and pony show. But the real work, 98% of the work we do is in the schools, is working with administration, is working with parents. It is it is a lot of work. And, yes, that was one of the, a lot of the things that I, were, that I was running on, you know, surrounded, you know, those key issues around uh, our students of color. Absolutely. And I will say this, over the last um, – maybe about three or four years, every single measurable aspect of improvement that we needed to make, we've improved in. Every single aspect of the graduation rates of, you know, black and brown students, whether it's with the reduction of suspensions, if it is the increase increase in uh, teachers that look like our students, if it is anything there, we've in, we've improved on and that's just a lot of work. I'm not going to sit here and take credit for for myself. It is a lo- it is a big effort. You know, we got a new superintendent who is focused on that, focused on equity issues. We developed a strategic plan that specifically called out these measurements of equity and these me- measurements of transparency and uh, you know disaggregated data. We we've moved towards that strategic plan. We're in the middle of it right now. And this, you know, our school is not out. School looks different, but school is not out. That doesn't stop anything that we that we are charged to do 
here at Durham Public Schools. We it just looks a little different. Yeah, we have to work on what does testing equity looks like now. You know, our te- generally our tests are canceled this year, but there's still you know advanced placement tests that have to happen. How do we get those in the hands of our black and brown students? You know, Durham is number one in a couple aspects and a couple measurement um, key pieces. One is the identification of um, AIG, you know, uh, academically and intellectually gifted uh, children. We're number one in the state. We're number one in the state for percentages of black and brown teachers. That wasn't the case even three, four years ago. So it's a lot of work. This, the, the COVID-19, it may be here. It may change the way our schools look, the face of our schools look. But it doesn't change the work that we're continuing to do. And we have to continue to do it, find different ways to do it, find different ways to reach out and connect with those students and those teachers. But we have to keep moving forward, and we haven't stopped yet. Y'all are doing a great job. And <clears throat> Excuse me. I know I have some amazing friends that are teachers. I mean, I'm friends with Window Tab and, um, Irvin Truitt and a number of other teachers. I know they are still continuing to do that great work, whether they're there at their, uh, whether not at their individual schools, whether they're doing it in the uh, grade school level or whether they're doing it even on the college level, because I have a number of friends that are college professors as well. Um, Marco, um, if you could, and I definitely want to continue the conversation, but I didn't want to leave you out of the loop and everything, but um, share a little bit to us what you mean by using the term primitive when you talk about the book and everything, you alluded to it, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk more about exactly what that means in your definition. Oh, appreciate it. And I'll try to connect it to some of the smart comments that I heard from some of the other guests. Um, you know, for, for me, the term is meant to be in the most positive sense uh, for what's pure, what's raw, um, Oftentimes, what's not taught, but what comes spontaneously. So, Hassan talking about poetry slams, great example. Uh, Chalet talking about modern dance and all different kinds of forms, great example. If we look at music, um, classical music, um, when people are reading notes, uh, I would put that on the civilized, quote-unquote, part of the ledger and, and look there's a place for that but but the spirit behind uh, jazz and rock and rap I think comes from a more innate inborn instinctive natural organic place and I'm not mm-hmm. a neuroscientist everyone far from it but I do happen to work with a couple and there's actually a primitive part of our brain there's a cerebral part that is rational, logical, process-driven, etc. But there's an older part, a more ancient part, that is based on, yes, fight or flight. It's based on making quick, instinctive, emotive decisions that can often be the best decisions. There's an uh, excerpt in my book that was picked up by Entrepreneur Magazine, And it's an interlude between a former colleague of mine who ran talent and diversity inclusion at YNR. And his name is Love Welchel III. And Love tells a story about him being at YNR, and he got a certain offer. And the guy giving him an offer said, Love, I need to know 
whether you're going to take this job to run my company or not, and I need to know right now or I'm not going to have a very good weekend. And the call took place in the back of a car on a Friday afternoon. And the person that Love was speaking with was none other than Sean Combs. Hmm. And Love went on to help him run Bad Boy Entertainment for several years. So my point there is if Love would have been quote-unquote more civilized, he would have had to do a cost-benefit analysis, a SWOT analysis, pros and cons, etc. Instead, his whole life flashed before his eyes, and he took a breath, and he said, I'm in. And it was one of the best decisions he made. And what I've seen too much in the business world is a lot of CYA, and we all know what that stands for. I've seen a lot of analysis paralysis, which means that people are mobilized to make decisions. And if there's one silver lining around COVID-19, one trend that I'm seeing, and I'd be curious what the other guests feel, is an opportunity to recalibrate and think about what we really want out of life, especially during this primal moment where we're forced to confront our own mortality, basic needs like food and safety and shelter and security, and also at a time where we can get a glimpse into other people's lives. Like, I, I think I'm the only one not calling from North Carolina, and I love that fact. You all are giving me a glimpse inside your world. I haven't been to Durham in five years, but I was there to visit a client, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, who you all know. And, you know, it's fascinating to, to see how our experiences are very similar, but also they're different in a beautiful and diverse way. So, you know, you kind of get that voyeur sense. Like, when, I don't know how many of you watched the NFL draft. Were any of you watching this year when they were zooming in the players' living rooms? I and, saw a little bit of that on, on the computer. I didn't watch the total draft, but I did see that it was yeah. done in a more modern kind of version. Exactly. And guess what? It got record ratings because it wasn't the um, overly produced set it was rather just getting real with it and getting inside people's homes and seeing them celebrate or seeing them concerned they weren't drafted, et cetera. And, and, and one final thought, Mark, I have you in mind with this. I had a tech client, a guy named David Rosenblatt, who sold DoubleClick to Google about a decade ago, and he's now the head of First Dibs, which something – might have heard of it's a platform for one-of-a-kind goods, a lot of it luxury, but not all only. And he turned me on to a charity called DonorsChoose.org. And basically teachers and principals in rural districts and inner-city districts get online and say, this is what I need for my classroom. Help me fund it. I don't get it from taxpayer dollars. What can we do to work together? And i got to tell you, it's been one of the most gratifying causes that I've been involved in. So a uh, little bit all over the place, but just thought I'd chime in with that. No, I appreciate that, and I'm sure Mike would as well. Um, it's actually interesting that you brought that up about the individual love and his experience with Sean um, Combs and everything. But we had a similar call. It was actually one of our um, 
special edition calls because some of these people are around the world. So we've actually arranged to have some calls with people that are not in a comfortable place to be calling seven to nine. So we had a show that aired on um, Thursday with Ron Thomas. Ron Thomas is a human resource guy who is currently living out of Dubai, but he's originally from Marion, South Carolina, and spent some time with Martha Stewart in New York and everything. But he was talking about something very similar, which is that when he decided he wanted to go into consulting, and he's a business consultant now, an international business consultant, but when he decided he wanted to do that, he wanted to do speaking at, like, these business conferences, world business conferences. And as I recall the story, and Dean can correct me if I'm not, if I'm paraphrasing it slightly wrong, but as I recall the story, what he basically did was he applied to about, um, I think he said somewhere like seven or eight different businesses conferences, told them in his background, and basically he took it from a position of not um, will you hire me, but his position was, This is my experience. This is what I've got going on. This is my background. If somebody drops out of the conference, call me. And in other words, because we know conferences are always being planned. They're always, I've done event planning, so I know any event that you plan, Chalet can testify to this. They never go quite the way that you're planning. So that being said, he basically said, if anybody drops out, get in touch with me. And I want to say that he said that out of like six or seven of those contacts within, I think he said between two to three days, he had already received five calls to travel around the world to go be the speaker at these conferences because something like that had happened. But what he, this point that he was making was that he went at it from a position of power. He went at it not like begging for the job. He was like basically going as if to say, this is what skill set, this is what I've got going on. If this contingency happens, call me. And I thought that that was a really amazing story. And like I said, from there, he now has offices in Dubai, and he's doing this on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, if coronavirus wasn't going on, he would probably be in a different part of the world just about every day because he was doing that much kind of travel. But it was all based that when he started the business, he just kind of went for it. And I think that that's kind of the kind of conversation that you're talking about, Marco, is that sometimes we don't go for it. And I want to hear from everybody. And just to make one other quick correction, Dean is the only other person because Dean is calling from the New Jersey area. So you're right. Everybody else is out of the North Carolina area, whether that's Greensboro or Durham. (laughs) (laughs) But Dean is over there. (laughs) Yeah, Dean is in New Jersey. And um, I think, uh, Shalei, I know you've got an out-of-state telephone number, but you are here in North Carolina. So where, where is your home base? You mentioned Utah, but where did you originally come from? Um, my home state is Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia, and then I lived in New York City for several years, so that's why I still have my 917 area code, but I'm actually in the Durham area now. Yes, I knew you were in the Durham area now, but I knew that you also had roots, and you'll also be glad there's a connection to you and Dean, because like I said, Dean lives in New Jersey now, but his college background was Virginia, and I want to say, Dean, most of your family is still in Virginia, is that correct in saying um, yeah, part of my family is in Virginia, other half is here in New Jersey. Right, so about half and half, half in Virginia and half in the uh, New Jersey area. But coming back to what Marco was saying, um, what are people's kind of feelings about what will happen? Because I am of the opinion that Marco said that we are in a new age and that this is causing people to reflect on their lives reflect on their uh, mortality, reflect on even maybe a new way of doing business. So I'm curious to hear everybody from, and we'll start, I'll go down the line. So I'll start with Mike, go to Hassan, then come to Shali, and end back with Marco. But um, what 
is your view of what this kind of virus and what the state of the world is now is going to do in terms of a new era? I mean, we have certain people in leadership, I won't name their names, that are still doing crazy things with tweets and asking people to drink Clorox and other kind of things. But minus them, what are your views about how this will impact us as a world society? Because one of my fears, and I mentioned this in another conversation I had, might have been a personal conversation or it might have been one of my other uh, calls on something else, is that we sometimes become disaster-driven. Like I remember a lot of compassion with Katrina. I remember a lot of compassion with um, 9-11. And sometimes when we come out of the disaster, then we go back to our old ways of doing things. But because of the extent of this, 9-11 was an event that happened over the course of, I mean, the war still to some degree is still raging on, but the actual physical event was basically a two- to three-day event. Same with Katrina. It was not that long. This has been going on for months. So I'm thinking that this might be different than those. But I do know, historically speaking, we kind of like have compassion in the heat of the disaster, and then we go back to our old ways. But I'm thinking because of this being a more long-haul kind of thing, that it might change the nature of people. So I just want to know what your thoughts are on that and what your observations are. So I'll turn it over to you, Mike, and hear your reflections on that first. And then, like I said, I'll jump down to Hassan Shali and come back to Marco and see what his thoughts are on that. But how do you think this will impact us as a society? So I'll start with you, Mike. Um, Like I said, I think things have just changed, right? And, you know, I was thinking about this a little while ago, how it's actually affected me you know, it's just in my everyday life, right? I can serve a little bit more now, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't take two paper towels out of the select size paper towels. I take one, right? I look at, you know, do I use regular dishes or paper plates, right? Because, you know, we're going to have it's kind of hard to get paper products now. I just think, I think people are going to take a step back and look at the world a little differently. How do we do things a little differently? You know, how important is it for students to have computers, right, in, in situations like this or even anything that might come in, in the future? How important is it to, you know, support your local restaurant so that they stay in business? Because that's one of the things I'm trying to do, too, is once, once or twice a week, you know, order from a local restaurant, not a chain. You know, I think and one more thing I think it's going to be really, really big that comes out of this is to focus on what what we consider essential workers. You know, these are the same workers who people don't want to pay fifteen dollars an hour to, but they're they're requesting them to be in to, to to go into work to serve. You know, the greater community. They consider them essential. Well, maybe these people are a little more important than your your denial of them having at least fifteen dollars an hour living wage. Because they're up here serving you. They're risking their lives at grocery stores, the cashier, you know, the restaurant workers and so forth, so that you can have what you need, but but you don't want to pay them $15 an hour. So I just think people are going to take a step back and look at some of the things that are going on. What have you gone without? What what can you not go without? And I think those things are going to change a little bit just because of the way, you know, life has changed. Definitely. 
Hassan, you're the youngest person in this group call and everything. Now, like I said, I first met you when you were actually, I won't say when we first met in the Poetry Slam community, you were actually a high school kid. But like I said, you're a college age person now, so definitely in that 20 set. So definitely the, the youngest of the panel right now. But what are your age range thinking about how this is going to change the world? I mean, you're still relatively younger self, but you're seeing a major event happen in the early part of your life. So just what are your reflections on how it will change? And I'm actually going to put you on the spot. After you answer that question, before I get to Shali, if you can drop at least a verse so folks can hear what you're all about, that would also be appreciated. But the first I want you to answer that question, then if you can drop a verse, that would be appreciated. <laughs> uh, I, y'all, y'all didn't have to do that. Yeah, I got you though. Um, I so see now you done affected my answer because I'm thinking about the verse. You see what you did there? But it's cool. I think that this for okay. So I think that this event is traumatic. So I think it's gonna dig deep into the psyches of people. I think it is gonna change how they think, how they interact, how they appreciate life. Um, I think it's gonna change behavior as far as you know how people operate in public spheres. But I think what this event did was it also reset a lot. It also destroyed a lot. And people are having to come at the future at a new angle. So it's kind of, it's it's shuffled everything. I think that it, it's closed doors for some. Um, but I feel like even those who, who think, I, I've been watching a lot of the people around me and listening to them and talking and supporting them. And what I'm starting to see from people is that you really, you really control your perception of your reality. Like you really do. Like even as an artist, we have so much, we have so much confidence and we have so much joy. We find so much passion in something that other people look at us and they're just like, this, this isn't actually the life. Like, I don't know what you, I don't know what you're really enjoying about this, but okay. I think it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing nowadays. It's just like people who choose to live in the fear, people who choose to live in the misery, people who choose to live in the sadness, people who choose to hold on to what they lost or what's going wrong or to absorb themselves in the news and, and, and literally make themselves sad, make themselves worse off, they're, they're going to be worse off. People who are going to try and get back to normal, or trying to get back to a world that is behind us, you feel me? I feel like they're going to go backwards. And I feel like the people who choose to look at this and find the positive and find the new and find the lesson and find the progression and find the window that opened because that door has closed, those are the people who are going to go into this next decade um you feel me prospering and on the right foot. Like one of the things that I I, I was I was uh, you know talking to people about before this happened was that you know 2020 like that's kind of a reset. Like it's it's the start of a new decade. You feel me? It's the start of a new revolution. Twenty two to a hundred years ago, this is the year that women got the right to vote. I think this is the year of prohibition. It was the start of the Harlem Renaissance. Like. This 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 year has a it has a lot of energy as far as what's going to happen in the next you know sixty seventy years actually so something like a global pandemic something like this like it's not even necessarily that I expected it but it's more so like I'm not surprised like something was about to happen and now we know what it is and so now it's going to be like it's an adjustment it's a it's a left it's a right 
is, is, is about how you're about to go around the problem because they shut down the streets, so you cannot go through anymore. It, it's, finding, it's finding your way out of no way. Um, and I think that's, that's, how, that, that, that's how people are going to react, or that's how I hope people are going to react. I hope people are going to, to find the positive in this instead of, you know, living in what could be a negative situation if you allow it to be. Um, Definitely. Y'all put me on the spot, so I'm going to do, like, a really short poem. Is that cool? That's cool. I I got to find it. Um, so, no, no. Give me, like, two more seconds. All right. So you still call, and I still answer, and I have to wonder if you even remember the last time we talked, how I blew you being myself, how I don't flinch when you leave anymore, how you can never expect to talk to me again until you do, how I can only ever seem to hold you when I don't try, how I saw him coming, saw you leaving, saw me pulling on you to stay or pulling you apart trying to keep us together, how I felt the day you quit how you felt the day I quit and took it as a turn to keep reaching out, I have to wonder how we don't really like each other's music, but we love this dance, love dancing around the subject these days, the way you only call me to discuss the elephant in the room, how I'm not your favorite him anymore, I guess except when he's a ghost you can only talk about, how now you miss the consistency of my voice, or maybe just the consistency, but not as much as his touch until he doesn't show up the way you only miss our conversations when I stop trying to have them, but even in your dreams, I'm still the solution to the problems they can't solve. And I guess I've always been your handyman, made myself home enough to keep your problems at bay. But, baby, you've been letting another man live in you. You don't seem to wonder where that leaves me, a homeless home or an addicted rehab or your favorite hero complex to victim for, a halfway house for your wayward soul, a fixer-upper that you quit on until you need someone who won't quit on you. But I tried to quit on this after you did, and I did for a while until you call. But before I answer, I have to wonder. That sounds well, right. Yep. That's it. That's, that appreciated. That definitely was kind of fortunate. I'm used to from Hassan. Definitely hit you right in the heart and all of that. So definitely appreciate you doing that. Shalai, um, it's on you now in terms of, like I said, if I had a visual, I'd have you do a dance number, but since it's all audio, <laughs> can't have that happen and everything. But what is your take on how this will impact and continue to impact the world and also how will it impact the dance world? But uh, if you just give us your impact on your take on the impact of what we're going through and what you vision happening. Sure. Sure. First, I'm really inspired by everyone so far. It's really a wonderful conversation. And I think there's some really important like words being brought up, like the idea of recalibration that just really resonated with me. I feel like it kind of feels like we're, we're going through such a shift that, that maybe the things that weren't working are going to crumble the fastest. And maybe in some ways there's that hope of this being a wake up call. Um, I do feel like there is going to be a shift of focus 
um, well, hopefully, to local businesses and how important it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, at the exact same time, there's going to be almost like more of a sense of global community because if the online resources and the live streaming continues, like I think about my young career was, you know, after I left New York, I traveled the world to try to access things that I couldn't access on my computer at that time. Um, and now I, you know, I, I see all of this information, these resources, just expanding um, exponentially. And you can, you know, virtually head to to Japan or to Israel or to Belgium, um, several of the places I spent a lot of time, and um, have access to kind of some of the most innovative things happening in the dance world today. Um, and right now, because of of the pandemic a lot of these resources are being offered for free or donation-based because there isn't necessarily a streaming platform accessible yet enough for artists that is about really generating a revenue stream. It's really still about staying connected and sharing information. So I do feel that there is going to be something, um, uh, I don't know, it's asking, life is asking something new of us, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that obviously we want to feel that as communities and as countries and as nations that we're really focused on the well-being of others. Um, And obviously dance is a big part of that, a big part of why I do that, that whole sense of wellness um, and the movement language that my my company does, um, which kind of makes me also think about I get calls from time to time from people who would have loved to have taken a dance class but don't have access to transportation. So I think about how can we keep this possibility available for people that don't have transportation um, uh, or people who are outside of the area to stay connected um, with the movement form that they um, love from us. And I think about that there's a sense of accessibility happening right now. Um, And I hope that that the things that are working now will continue because, like you said, there is a crisis mentality. There is that sense of people rushing for solutions and, you know, positive things happening, like some of our environmental health coming back um, and reducing our carbon footprint. But will that just disappear when, when life goes back to normal? I have a feeling people don't want it to go back to normal. I have the feeling that, um, well, some people do, but I have the feeling, especially in the dance world, that there's a sense of let's keep what is working here and let's change the things that weren't um, and let's keep growing through this. Um, So, yeah, I think that I feel hopeful in the midst of the devastation um, that possibly we can put some new infrastructures in place that will benefit more people and be more focused on, on well-being. Um, uh, well, I've got two questions. Well, one of them will throw back to everybody, but first I want to hear Marco's answer as to his take on what's going to happen with the rest of the world. And then the question is somewhat directed to Shali and uh, Hassan, and it's based on something that somebody has told me a long time ago, and I might put Mike and uh, even my co-host Dean on the um spotlight when I asked the question, but uh, the question to you, Marco, is uh, what is your thought about what's going to happen with the world as we move into a new direction, the post-COVID era, whenever that might be? Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, following Charlie and Hassan and Mike, uh, these are three tough acts to follow. 
So, you know, I, I don't know how original I can be, but maybe I can aggregate a little bit of, of what I've heard. And the positive message from all three of you makes me feel of a, a moment of self-empowerment. And, Mark, I think you're right. I was there on 9-11. I lost a dear friend on the first flight. And there was a sense of camaraderie, and we're in it together and brotherhood. Uh, and that vanished way too quickly. So I agree with what Hassan and others said, that this is, this is different. By the way, Hassan, you are one powerful uh, artist. I was I was blown away by what you shared, and, and uh, I'd like to learn more about it and hear more. Um, I you got it. I, I think just as we're giving Mother Earth a break and not releasing the kind of carbon dioxide and pollution that we usually release, I think we as human beings are 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 less this moment human doings and more human in downshifting, slowing it down, and focusing on what matters. I can tell you, I didn't start meditating until a couple years ago after going through a tough time. And everyone told me, oh, you should meditate, you must meditate. Well, shoulds and musts don't really work that much. You've got to come to it from, from your own perspective and I, I've coupled that over the last couple of months of COVID-19 with taking some wisdom from a 12-step program. Um, and I just share, you know, part of it is an anonymity, right? But there's, there's wisdom that needs to be spread and shared. And there, there are two thoughts that I'd like to express that I've learned from, from these programs. And, and one is, Putting yourself first is not selfish. Putting yourself first is not selfish. I, it took me decades to learn that lesson. And I, I was people-pleasing, client service for so much of my life. And I think COVID-19, not in a selfish way, but often in an other-focused way that Charlie was saying. By the way, Charlie, if you, did you ever visit the Batsheva Dance Company in Israel? I did, actually. I studied with them. I bet you did. Yeah, we should talk about that offline. I'm familiar oh, with that. Awesome. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. But, but thinking about the other, but also thinking about ourselves. And I think the, the panel and, 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 and all of you are mission-driven and, in my lexicon, uh, messianic about what we're doing, that we have a purpose, we have a passion, we see the clock is ticking, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Most people don't. They see work as drudgery, as punching in and punching out, uh, necessary, just let me get through the day. A lot of people are burnt out, right? And I think that the energy that we all have for what we do, hopefully stuff like that can be contagious. And I'll share one other uh, adage that I've learned from 12-step programs and, and I said this once to a group of people, and I got a little flack from it. Curious what you guys think, and it's a little extreme, but it kind of gets to what Hassan was saying. And the, the saying goes, there, there are no victims, only volunteers. What you were talking about, Hassan, about your own perception, how you create your own reality. Yes, a lot of us have such 
a tough road to hoe. And, and maybe you remember this, Mark, but I, I'm a mentor to a young African-American man named Maurice Reed Jr., who was in the bloods in Bed-Stuy before people were moving to Bed-Stuy and got caught up in the juvenile justice system. Long story short, he graduated with honors from NYU and has worked at many tech companies and is an absolute superstar. And it's like, you know, he could have played, say, well, you know, feel sorry for himself. He never felt sorry for himself. This kid is amazing. And I just think, I, I hope that people get more resilient more resourceful, more creative, and more able to love one another and also get what we want out of the short time we have here on planet Earth. So that's, that's yeah, my Jeff, I appreciate that. Now, the question I had to ask both Shali and Hassan, and I've heard this from two different folks, and this is where I'm going to put Mike and Dean and maybe even you, Marco, on the spotlight, is um, I've had friends of mine that tell me, like I said, I mentioned that I did the online uh, dance party thing with Daybreakers, and I'm not claiming to be a great dancer. As a matter of fact, I think I have two left feet. But I've heard this concept that everybody actually <clears throat> is a good dancer. Everybody can be a great dancer. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. The same with spoken word, that everybody has a poem in them. So my question to you, Shale, and then I'm going to throw it to Hassan on the spoken word side, is do you believe that? Do you think that everybody does have some dance in them, or is there so are there folks like me that have, uh, in my mind, two left feet, and maybe Mike thinks he's got two left feet, and maybe Dean thinks he's got two left feet, and the same with Marco. I'm not going to put words in their mouth. They can tell me if they think that they actually got suave moves or not. I'm going to pull y'all all into my Chaga classes now. <laughs> um, I don't so, dance. yes, I do. I really do. <laughs> I really do believe everyone, everyone is a, a dancer if you enjoy moving. Um, that can be in your mind's eye on a molecular level. It can be physical. There's a lot of different layers that movement happens in. Um, it can be just because you enjoy music. Um, and that's kind of how, um, that's kind of how we teach. Um, I also feel like really, I, I value the fact that a lot of, of dance forms, um, require a lot of athleticism and training, um, but beyond that, in my own career, what I value more is great teachers, which just teach you how to they give you that key to open yourself up. Um, and that and I think that that comes, you know, up, that's up to the teacher um, to reach every student. And that's how I've always taught. And that's how I teach my dancers to teach, too. Um, and that's why we created a, a movement um, that is about. Uh, accessibility to all people. So the people that come to our community classes, and that's what we call them, community classes, um, we have everyone from uh, individuals who are in wheelchairs to, um, to elderly people to dancers, non-dancers, yogis, and it's really special because we just rock out together. And it's something that we share. I mean, if you have a body and you, you, you can dance, whether it's in your mind or physically. And I don't know whether I heard Dean or Marco, but one of them claimed that they don't dance either. So I think you might have to have that's some Dean, teachers going Dean. on there. I, I'm not a dancer, man. It's I'm a, not no. a dancer either. <laughs> so mm. you might have your work cut out, Shale, in terms of that. Hassan, what about spoken word? Are you of the opinion that anybody can drop to a spoken word, or is it a mindset that only certain people have? And I have a great deal of respect. You know that I do for you and Hassan and others or are you of the opinion, like Chalet is, with the dancing, that everybody has a poem and a story in them? Okay, so it, it, it it's, it's complicated 
but I think everybody does have a story in them, yes. Everybody has a story and the ability to tell it. I think that uh, people fall into two categories. They fall into people who have it naturally, and they fall into people who, you know, they pick it up. Like, it's an, it's an energy that passes around. Like, it's the same thing as dance. Like, if you listen to enough music, you you, you going to understand what a rhythm is eventually. That, that, that core of our brain, that primal core, you know, like, the, the, it's, music is in there. Like, music is used to connect with people who have Alzheimer's. They, they can't remember anything. They can't remember their children. But they can remember a song. They, they'll know a poem. So it's just like it, it connects with something deeper within us. So people who don't have necessarily a deeper connection, you know, they, they have, you know, a harder time figuring out what it is. You feel me? I, I read something today that said uh, poetry is both form and feeling, but more feeling than form. So it's just like, yeah, there's training to it. But like when I when I uh, when I started poetry, I had no training. Most two three years, I pretty much like I figured it out by myself. It wasn't something that I learned or studied. It was something that I saw, felt, and replicated. So it wasn't even a conversation of like you know we should do that. Like I met people in the community. They they helped me. They they guided me. But my the fir- the first poem I've ever written. It, it, the energy of it is the same as every other poem since. Like the the process to get there is the same. It's it's kind of adjusted by other people. It's been tweaked, but for the most part, you know, like I, I I knew how to do this before I knew how to do this. Like that, and that's just how it is for some people. But at the same time, my connection with music was 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 uh uh. Twisty, like my, I've always had a vocabulary rhythm. You know, it comes. So I've had to, I've had to work. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's not something like they say. Another thing that my father said, he said, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. So it's just like even people who have it, if they don't use it, they're going to lose it, and that's just it. You feel me? Like you can be given something, you can lose it if you don't appreciate it. Like it depreciates. That's just that's just how it happens. So I think it's it's a, it's a relationship to the art. You feel me? Like some people, they're more on the music side. They don't really want to be on the poetry side. Some people live in the poetry side. They're scared to hop onto the music side. Some people have a firm grasp of both. It depends on where you come from. It depends on your family. It depends on your environment. It depends on what you were exposed to. My grandfather, you feel me? He grew up in Texas. I feel like he grew up around music, but he doesn't like music at all. But he produced three musicians. So it's like it, it 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 doesn't almost make sense, but they probably like my aunts, my mother, they probably went to music because of the fact that he 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 didn't need it, so he didn't push it on them. So you know they were always sitting in silence. They they can't do it. So it's just like it's those types of things, especially in our early days, but as we grow, that define whether we're gonna do it. And at the at the end of the day, it's a choice. It it is a choice. Like I. In my high school days, I was not the person to get on a stage. Like, that that right there was something we weren't going to do. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. It was an L. Like, oh, you want me to to speak in front of people? Oh, that's funny. You must not know me. Hello, my name's Hassan. Tell me, I don't do that. Like, that was it. Like, that was the conversation. It wasn't even a, a thing of going around it, being da-da-da-da-da. It was just like, nah, y'all got that. So then to turn around and have to force myself into into thing into stages, into rooms, into places with, you know, hundreds of people, thousands, thirty, forty, twenty, 
and be able to perform with the same energy, perform, bring the same level. You, thank you. I, I got it. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Um, no, no problem. That takes that takes work. Like so, even not even necessarily the the, the poetry aspect, but you feel me? Like a function, like walking into a room full of people I don't know and forcing myself to socialize for two hours. Like, that's a battle. You feel me? That's, that's harder than the poem. The poem is easy at this point. Like, that, that, that's the difficult part. So every day you, you have to wake up and you have to choose it. And, that, and that's, that's, that's really what it is. Like, people saying, oh, I don't do poetry, they're really saying, oh, I don't want to do poetry. And you have to, and right. some people, like some people, some people, but then there's people who say, I don't want to do poetry, and, and they're really saying, I don't know how, but I do want to, but I need to be pushed or I need to be shown. So it's, it's always going to be about looking somebody in the eye and, and seeing, you feel me, what they're really saying. Because I, I, at this point in my life, I, I've almost built a career off being able to look somebody in the eye and see whether they want this and or hearing them and seeing if they have it. Like as far as like the whatever it is, like it's a thing. Like I can't explain it. I don't know. I don't know. We don't got time for real. But some people have it. No. Some people don't. Especially when yep, it comes definitely. to the art scene. Yep, you definitely. can see it. It's clear. You feel me? Yep, like, Thirty yep, seconds into your that. poem, I pretty much know if you have it or not. And not just if you have it. Like not necessarily now. Like I don't even necessarily feel like I have it now. Like, people say I have it, but me personally. I feel like I'm still very low on my progression. Like I still feel like I have a lot of place, uh, a lot of distance to go in my journey. So it's not even necessarily like, do you have it or not? It's like, do you even have the potential? Do you even have the will? You feel me? I've met people who did not have the, that did not have the skill, but they had the will, and they 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 outgrew every person in there that thought they were more talented than them because wow. they had the determination. Not even the skill. The skill can be taught. You feel me? The, the substance can be taught. It's storytelling. You feel me? It's professional right. storytelling. It's like, it's yep. not even necessarily difficult. So it's just like, it's, 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 like it's, not a, it's not a thing of, you know, can you do it? You feel me? You can do anything if you put your mind to it. I truly believe that. You know what I mean? It's a thing of, are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to right. put in the sacrifice? Are you willing to face your fears? You feel me? Are you willing to let go of what you think you are, who you think you are? Are you willing to lose yourself in that beat, in that music, in that rhythm? You feel me? Are you are you willing? It's it really. And when I when I, when you really get down to it, it's like, are you going to let go of your fear? That's really See, that's what it the is. big. That, that's the biggest thing. Is are you going to let go of your fear? You hit it right on the money there, Mike. And if we just got a few more minutes to wind down, and I want to hit everybody to get there websites and everything and uh, let Marco pitch the book that he's got and how people can get it. But before we get to that, I do have one quick question for you, and I know it's a long answer probably, but one of my fears with education is that um, sometimes that we teach to um, going, and I think somebody mentioned it earlier, going to work and only going to work. And I was just wondering, how are you, how do you fight against that? Because that's one of my great fears is that sometimes we train people in the education field to go to work just to go to work, but not to try to create an entrepreneurial spirit or try to just have something other than a nine-to-five job. So sometimes I think that our school system is too geared toward testing and too geared toward 
that, um, and I hate to use this term, I mean, primitive can be a misnomer for some people and plantation mentality can be a misnomer for some, but it seems sometimes that we still have that mentality going on in our school system. And I was just wondering, you're very innovative. So I think that you do not do that. And I think that you try to fight against that here in Durham. So if you can, in a short answer, answer how you try to counter that, that whole thing about, because we know that testing is a way that we measure people. And also that, you know, I'm not knocking going to work at Glaxo. Marco just mentioned he had a client at Glaxo, but, uh, or Glaxo as a client, but I'm saying, but sometimes we get too caught up in just going to work for work's sake. Right. And so that's a really good question. And, and what I would say to that is here at Durham Public Schools, what we've really been trying to focus on our last couple of years is really bringing back the trades, bringing back the trades that are not necessarily uh, a pathway of, of our students going to college, but actually learning a, a skill that you can start your own business. We've actually had entrepreneurship programs start up here in Durham Public Schools, and I think all of the high schools at this point, entrepreneurship. And actually, in my my son's middle school, they had an entrepreneur in the seventh grade here that he was just in. His first semester, they had an entrepreneurship, uh, what they called a, um, it was like a special, where it was a special class, it was called discovery class, and it taught about what it was like to be an uh, entrepreneur. But you have to understand, not everybody's cut out to start their own business. Not everybody right. wants to start their own business. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that our students are the most prepared to do whatever it is, whatever path they have after graduation, high, graduating high school. If they want to you know, continue on to community college, which – some of our students graduate with associate's degrees before they graduate with their high school diplomas, or maybe they want to go to their a four-year college, or maybe they want to go straight into the workforce. We want we need to prepare them, and that's what we're focusing on is preparing them for whatever path it is. I don't think there's I don't think anymore there's a, a stigma saying you must go to college. That's not what we're focusing on now. We want to prepare you to be citizens. Uh, uh, you know productive citizens after you leave our program, after you leave 12th grade, and whatever that may be. If you're interested in electrical, electric, being an electrician, are you interested in being a plumber, starting your own business there, we're going to support you in the way you, in whatever you need to do there. So, you know, the path I took, yeah, I went to college. I got my master's. I'm actually going to be starting a doctoral program. That's my path. That's Mike Lee. That's what I want. That's what I grew up uh, and wanted to do, but that's not everyone. And we've finally gotten to the place to where it, it is okay to teach kids that it's okay not that you don't have to go to college at least not right off. Even if you if you go ever, we want to prepare you to do whatever it is that you want to do: military, workforce, community college, start your own business. We're going to prepare you to to do whatever it is you need to. And it's no longer a stigma that you have to go to college or you have to work for somebody, you know, you could do it on your own. You could start your business, and this is how you do it. And that's what we've been doing in high schools at least over the last two years, maybe even three years, we've really started focusing on that. Well, that's great to hear and everything. And I know that there's definitely been some innovative things going on in our uh, Durham Public Schools. We've only got a few more minutes to go before we have to wrap everything up. So I'm going to start with Marco and then go to Chalet but in, and then Hassan. And I'll even come to you, Mike, as well. But if everybody can give how they can be reached. So, Marco, if you'll tell folks how they can get the book 
and also maybe your social media handles and things of that nature, but how they can reach out to you and uh, maintain that dialogue. Because I know you and Chalet even said that y'all need to have some dialogue about some of that common ground that might have happened around Israel and everything. So if you'll just share with folks how they can reach you on social media, and then, like I said, I'll get to Chalet and uh, find out how they can learn about her amazing dance troupe. You got it. So the name again, Marco Greenberg, my first name and last name, don't go together, but we'll save that for another show. It's at Marco Greenberg for my Twitter handle. You can find me on LinkedIn. My company's name is Thunder 11, like Thunder and Lightning, Thunder 11, named after a theory that Marshall McLuhan developed. And um, the book you can find at primitivebook.com. And I just want to give a plug to a book that's in my book that came out in the 1970s with a title that has stayed with me ever since. It's by Susan Jeffers, and it's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I think that's Mm. what we're hearing about the various risk takers on this call. Thank you. Chalet, tell folks how they can learn about your amazing dance work company and uh, how they can reach out to you and hopefully uh, see the classes that you're offering as well as hopefully eventually to you and do some live performances. And I want to thank you as well for being on the call. Yes, thank you. And thank you to everyone. This has been a really inspiring conversation. Um, so I joke with everyone since I moved here that my name is Shali like Raleigh. It's an easy way to remember it, but it's also spelled similarly. <laughs> so it's Shali, S-H-A-L-E-I-G-H, danceworks.com. Um, and you can find all of the information about our upcoming virtual premiere on May 15th there, as well as um, the link to our free uh, community classes that we're streaming through Zoom. Um, and our social media handles are at Shali Danceworks. Thanks a lot, Shali. Hassan, really quickly, tell folks how they can reach you and how they can get in touch with you and uh, maybe even see more of your poetry if you've got it on social media. But let folks know about your social media. Okay, so if you want to contact me, um, see my page. I'm on Instagram at A-H-B Poetry or A-H-B dot poetry. Um, if you want to see some of my work, uh, my poetry club, uh, they have a YouTube page. It's the Aggie, A-G-G-I-E, Live Poetry Society. Um, on YouTube, we have like 30, 40 videos up there at this point. Um, you can see some of mine uh, at the bottom. You know, that's a couple of them. I post some on my page, and I'll definitely be coming out with some more on, on my own YouTube page and on my Instagram. I have a website, ahbpoetry.com. Um, you can go up there, see some more poems, uh, some ones that are, I just found on my phone that are up on YouTube. Um, if you want to read them, you can contact me. I, I wrote a book in 2018. Um, I still have, like, 15 copies sitting in my room, so if anybody wants one of them, uh, you can get that. I'm about to come out with a second one, though, because, you know, that one's kind of like, it's kind of sad. I'm not going to cap, but um, what else? Is there anything else? You can follow the Poetry Club at Aggie Live Poets on Instagram. They they do amazing content. They're still coming up with things. They're, uh, you know, a fresh movement in Greensboro. I really like seeing what they're about to do, and then, you know, they, they tell me to come back and spit. Like, they haven't kicked me out completely. They They miss me sometimes. So I, I, that's probably good. Go ahead. 
Cool. I was appreciating that. And, of course, they can always find you sometimes performing, even though we've been kind of out of pocket mm-hmm. with the uh, Bull City Slam competitions that go on mm-hmm. monthly when we're out of uh, the COVID era. So hopefully that will get back going sometime in the summer. But I know that you and some of your peers are regularly appearing at mm-hmm. that when that happens as well. So definitely you can watch the Hey website and you can see some times that the Poetry Slam will go on. Uh, third Saturday of every month, and so they can hopefully, uh, when we get going back, catch him performing there as well. So keep that in mind. Uh, Mike, as we're winding down everything, um, how can folks reach out to you as far as the school board is concerned? Because, you know, they've, like you said, the issues will continue going on, whether it's COVID-related or whether it's post-COVID-related. So tell folks how they can uh, learn about what the school board is doing. I know the school board has meetings online just like the city council does and the county commissioners and a bunch of other folks. But how can they reach you if they maybe they're concerned about something going on in school on a personal level or if they just want to see some of your thoughts and uh, share thoughts with you about what's going on in our school system? Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, the, the Durham Public Schools website is dpsnc.net. And if you go to Board of Education, I'll be the first one up there since I'm the chair. It has my personal cell phone number. It has my email address. It actually has my address up there since I'm an elected official. On social media, if you just look at um, uh, Leader Mike Lee, Leader Mike Lee, all one word, that'll get you there um, um, on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. Um, I'm always open for calls, text messages. You know, I speak to everyone. I love input positive and negative, because if we don't hear the negative, we can't fix anything. You know, I'm always open to talk, go get some coffee when this, all, when this is all over. Uh, we do have meetings on the uh, second and fourth Thursday at night. Uh, all the video, we stream, so all the video information, everything is on the website as well on the Board of Education. Remember, dpsnc.net. That is the, that is the website for the school school system, and you can find me on there. Well, I definitely appreciate you joining this call. Like you said, it was a very powerful conversation with a lot of uh, great folks speaking and definitely uh, appreciated your input as well as the input of our other guests also. So definitely appreciated everybody being on the call. And as I tell everybody that is on these shows on a regular basis, once you've you've been on the show once, you're welcome to come back on anytime because we're here every Monday, 7 to 9. We do do some special episodes based on the fact that we're in a world population now. And so sometimes people might be in other parts of the country and I have to arrange interviews for them based on their schedule. So just know that uh, definitely between the hours of 7 and 9 when we're doing the live version that if you uh, have free time and you want to jump in on the call, if you just want to listen, all of you that were on here this time are welcome to come back. That's something that I say just about every uh, weekend. It's an ongoing uh, invitation to all of y'all. And I also have a uh, page that uh, keeps track of uh, particularly on Twitter, and I think I've got one on Facebook as well, keeps track of our past guests and sometimes even create dialogue among the guests, both those of you that were on the show this time as well as some past guests that uh, you did not hear but were on past shows. So we try to keep the dialogue going even among our guests as we are now have created, as Dean likes to call it, the Level Radio Network because we have some other shows that we are part of as well. And uh, I'll let Dean talk about those real quick, and then I'm going to see if I can't find out who we've got for next week. So, Dean, you want to give people a quick overview of where they can catch us while I look up the episodes and see what we might have next week? (laughs) You know what, y'all? Let's straight talk with Dean and Mark. It's on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. 
Don't forget to catch our replay tomorrow afternoon on the Skyhawk Radio Network. That's at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you missed that, it plays on a number of platforms like Radio Public, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and PodFollow. We are a part of the Level Radio Network, and we welcome our shows, the Chef Gang Radio Show, which will be Wednesdays at 4 p.m. The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, which will air Sundays at 3 p.m. The Just Podcast, which airs Fridays at 5. And the Let's Talk About It Radio Show, which is every other Thursday at 7 p.m. Yes, we get it in, we keep it moving, and we keep it grooving. Now, don't forget, like I said at the beginning of the show, on May 9th at 3 p.m., Matriarch Moments has, with Lady K, has surviving after divorce, interviewing my friend Shereen Hodge. No throwing off, no throwing down. It's simply a sit-down. The discussions discarding confronting issues, transitions, therapy, and more. It's on Zoom. That meeting ID is 716 716- Six nine five two two five three. The password is war cry. Let's get it in, y'all. Seventy three countries, all fifty states. Like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime and the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six man Dangeronimo. Have an outstanding week and we will see you in seven days. And along those same lines, don't forget that on Wednesday, we'll have that interview with Renita Roy, Aaron, and she is a very talented photographer from India. So that will be Aaron. And I did find out, and Dean, you'll be glad to hear this. We've got some amazing guests lined up, and I'm still lining up some other guests, but the premier or one of the premier people will be somebody involved in something that you are a big fan of. That's right, Dean. I went and found you somebody that played indoor football. So we got Keith Holiday coming on (laughs) and Keith Holiday is an antique graduate and a former indoor football player. So we're going to find out what he's got to say about how sports has been impacted by what's going on. He has definitely stepped away from the game even before this happened, but I'm sure he still got some friends in the game and might have some thoughts on that. And he's also been involved in the martial arts. So we'll definitely be having some conversation about sports and health and things of that nature. And I've also got some other folks. I think there's a stand-up comedian and some others that are being approached. So it'll be another conversation, kind of that round table that we've been having for the last several weeks and the kind that we really enjoy having. But one of those people will be Mm -hmm. somebody that you're involved in, that being the gentleman that played indoor football. I don't remember which team he played for. And the other thing that I've got to tease you about is I tried to do your intro, but I could not remember all the words because you're a master at it. But I tried to do your outro at the interview (laughs) with Renita. And if you listen to the end, you'll even hear me say, that I was doing a horrible job of paraphrasing and that I hope that you would come on and tag it the way it's supposed to be done because I was trying to remember it off the top of my head and it didn't work. But I knew the gist of it was that it's not that it's not a rehearsal, that it's the real deal, but I paraphrased it and it wasn't as smooth as yours. Nobody can be <laughs> as smooth as you with that tag out. <laughs> hey, man, we try to take it out of here so that they have some a little sunshine and take it out. For the end of the week, uh, end of the show anyway, you know, we've been doing this, what, going on six years now? So, yep. you know, I better be decent at it. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we appreciate y'all, man. We'll see y'all next week, all right? All right, peace. Peace.